This episode of the Power Connect Podcast is brought to you by Amperon, the real-time pulse of global power grids at your fingertips. Our forecast for the grid scale has a 1% to 2% error on a day-ahead basis. From what I understand, again, we're doing diligence on this, a good wind forecast has about a 21% day-ahead error. So you're getting something, but what's the actual value? Welcome into the Power Connect Podcast. I'm your host, Fred Davis. Episode 26 of the show happens on a Thursday. Glad to have you guys on board as we are each and every show. Got a fantastic episode on tap for today. One of my favorites that I've done thus far. You know, we've done more in-person interviews, obviously, with things starting to calm down a little bit or get some get back to some semblance of normalcy since the whole COVID pandemic started a few years ago. But uh, very excited, but had a blast recording this interview with Mr. Sean Kelly, CEO and co-founder of Amperon, all things advanced grid analytics, and they do an absolutely fantastic job with that. And so we had a chance to sit down in person over at the Amperon offices in downtown Houston. We're going to discuss here in a little bit, or I'll cover a little bit about what we discussed. A lot of good stuff there. But before we do that, few housekeeping items as always number one make sure you follow the podcast over at apple podcast and spotify or on the website thepowerconnect.net if you listen to us on apple podcast leave us a five-star rating listen to the entire show you will be glad that you did as always check out the news you can use feature which we just started a few weeks ago great feedback and and a lot of you guys are enjoying that every monday wednesday and friday four to five news stories from the energy world that get you in and out in less than 10 minutes and of course if you want to have your business news, your company news featured on the news you can use. Let us know. Reach out to us on LinkedIn, Fred Davis, The Power Connect, and or just contact us via email, fred at thepowerconnect.net. That's fred at thepowerconnect.net. And of course, we're always looking for guests, show ideas, and suggestions. So it's an open forum, ladies and gentlemen. Let us know. Let's make it happen. Let's partner. Let's make a memory. All right, let's get right down to today's show. Sean Kelly, co-founder, CEO of Amperon. Again, one of my favorite episodes that I've done thus far. Always enjoy talking to folks in person. Not to say there's anything wrong with doing it over Zoom. Hey, it's technology. It's what you do. But there's just something a little special when you get a chance to talk to somebody in person. We talk all things, obviously, Amperon, the grid. We're going to get into all that. Sean being a Houston boy, we're going to get into plenty about H-Town. And just, it's, it's interesting to get it from him because, again, he's born and raised in Houston. So he's seen it from its infancy as far as being an oil and gas town to how it's evolved. And, of course, now he's an entrepreneur, business owner, how the whole landscape has changed, how Houston competes for talent, what it's like from a hiring perspective, trying to go head-to-head with folks. And, of course, how Houston's not necessarily known as a tech town, how he and his team over at Texas A&M are trying to make that a difference as well why Amperon's core objective and business model hasn't changed since 2017, and why asking for advice is more fruitful than asking for money. It's a great conversation. Welcome to the program, please, Mr. Sean Kelly. Thanks a lot for having me and the opportunity just to kind of tell our story and tell what we're, what we're about. And so I'm here in Houston, Texas. This is where I grew up. Had an interesting journey, 11 years as a electricity trader. So started trading electricity in 2005 before it was cool. Looked at oil and gas traders and saw that they were all about 50 and saw electricity traders and saw that they were all about 28. Realized that being good at math, 22 is much closer to 28 than it is 50. Got a really good job offer from Tanaska and off to the races. So worked at some places um, here in Houston, Chuck Watson, Dynagy spinoff, Eagle Energy Partners, which became Lehman, which became Electricidad de France, uh, and then moved to Chicago, helped set up Eon's trade floor, then decided to be a crazy person and start doing my own thing. So started a company called Bridge Power Consulting with a friend of mine, and that really gave me the understanding of what people thought about energy outside of traders. Traders is a very small, weird fun niche but what do the everyday people think about it so i was going to large commercial and industrial clients and asking them like hey can i help you with your electricity can i help you with led like what do you need here and at the end of the day i learned that 
they were so concerned about their business that they really didn't pay attention to the energy efficiencies of the world. And just to give this a time frame, we're, we're, in, we're in around 2014, 15, 16 right now. Uh, and so people didn't really care. I was living in New York City and uh, just saw that something had to change. And I mean, we're in Houston, right? <laughs> what does everyone do? There's a couple people that play with medicine. There's a couple people that play with spaceships and everyone else is in energy. And so in New York, that's not the case. Everyone's in tech and finance and whatever. And so I just realized being very non-technical that this industry desperately, desperately needs technology. And so I was fortunate to meet Abe Stanway, my co-founder. His joke is, I'll build it if you can sell it. And so that's what we've done. I have called in every favor of everyone I've met across my entire journey, which actually started installing Enron online on trade floors back in 2000 uh, when I was a senior in high school. And so I called in every favor. And I think the smart thing is if you ask for advice, you get money. And if you ask for money, you get advice. And so I went and asked everybody for advice and sure enough, the money followed. So we've been able to build a really cool platform with these. I mean, we're hiring up against the, the Google, Facebook, et cetera, of the world. And then we're hiring people that are executives at NRG and places of that status from the energy world. And so I think that combining those two and, and saying, what, how can we help you? The answer was demand forecasting. Uh, so that's what we focus on. Any electricity demand forecasting. It gets more confusing by the day. Rooftop solar, awesome. Your house looks nothing like it did before. Even like smart ACs, window upgrades, all these things that are in the new climate build, all of the things that people are about to do to their houses, their house no longer looks like it does. COVID completely doesn't. I'm in the office for the third day this week, and that is the first time that has happened probably since 2014 that I've been in the office three days in one week, and that's not normal. And so all of these things change the way that we use electricity. Uh, and so that's what Ampron's here to help for. We have a 15-day forecast that tells you, based on weather, what everyone's using each hour. And then we have a five-year forecast uh, telling you what this meter looks like from a long-term standpoint. How difficult is it, and obviously you guys have algorithms and, and you know models and what have you, when it comes to predicting wind and solar? More so wind than the solar, because I always hear that that's the one aspect that is truly difficult to try to prepare for is how much is the wind literally going to blow? I feel like you should be the 100th customer and balloons should fall down because people ask me this almost every time. They're like, you're great at models. Why, like, where's your renewable forecast? I'll start backwards. And so solar is not that difficult. So we, we with the client went down a really cool rabbit hole uh, on the resi solar space. The Australian energy market operator uses our forecast to run their grid and they have 40% rooftop solar in Australia. And so we've done a lot of like the solar, it's not that difficult. A solar forecast is probably gonna be on our, our near term roadmap. The wind forecast is just hard for a couple of reasons. First off, there's 34,000 megawatts of wind in Texas, right? All over the place. There's not great wind variables from a weather standpoint. There's good solar variables in terms of like how sunny it is, cloud cover, yeah. things of that. Wind, really not. Uh, the other thing too is wind is curtailed a lot by ERCOT. That's really, really, really hard to predict when they're gonna say, I went on a road trip in, in June of 2020 and we drove I-10 all the way to San Diego from Houston. So we were on I-10 for a minute. And so, and we passed a couple windmills and I was driving and I kept on telling my wife, like, can you take a picture? Can you, it's the same thing, Sean. Like it's the same windmill. No, 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 this one's the blah, 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 blah. And she's like, oh my gosh, can you take a picture of that solar farm? Oh my gosh, I'm done. Like my whole entire, my iPhone's almost full of storage because of your stupid pictures. But we would drive, we drove down I-10 and it was a really hot day when we were driving. It was June of 2020 or July of 2020 and it was like 110 degrees. And so on one side, the wind was, the windmills were all going and the wind turbines on the other side were dead standstill. So it was congestion. They had shut off one side and the other side was going. The wind was not blowing on one side of the highway and dead in the water on the other. 
And so that's the thing that's so hard. And then my last joke that I always make is if I have a good win forecast in ERCOT, I'm going to reopen my ICE account and go back to trading and we'll have a $100 million fund in two minutes. And so that's the other thing. It's just really hard. If anyone was able to solve that, our forecast for the grid scale has a 1% to 2% error on a day ahead basis. From what I understand, again, we're doing diligence on this, a good wind forecast has about a 21% day ahead error. So you're getting something, but what's the actual value? So that's kind of my thoughts on wind forecast is if we had one that had a 5% error, you'd be dumb not to open a hedge fund. But again, it's on our roadmap. It's something we're thinking about. And it is the absolute end all be all biggest question on the grid, uh, which is why I'm so excited for all these batteries coming on board. Solar, you know when it's going, right? We're kicking off at 9 a.m. We're hanging we're hanging out till 5 p.m. Done. It's never like, oh my gosh, solar's still running. It's 10 p.m. at night. <laughs> Not a thing. But on the wind side, it just does what it feels like. And so... The day that was dicey here in July, as we sit at the end of July, yeah, it was because there was one gig of wind out of 34,000. They put capacity around like the 29% mark. 29% of 34,000 is not 1,000. So about 10,000 is what's supposed to. So I, I also have a problem with wind being counted as capacity, whereas like there's obviously issues with the plants, natural gas plants didn't all run that we're supposed to when we all lost our power in February of 21. But at the end of the day, I've run a ton of natural gas plants and I've managed wind, I've managed solar, I've managed nukes. When you push the button, they work, like they're there. If, when you turn on a natural gas plant, it runs. When you turn on a wind turbine, it's not a thing. So, but I, I think personally from, from a clean energy standpoint, the thing that I'm most bullish at and excited that they just passed money for is I am very, very pro-nuclear. And so nuclear, there's a lot of cool companies working on these smaller reactors, which I think is great. You obviously see some things that have happened in like South Carolina and Georgia that have been really bad for nuclear build out. And like, I think it's $18 billion or whatever off units that I used to run when I managed Cobb County's book back in 06, 07. I think it's Vogel and uh, forget the other one. But yeah, they have like a terrible rep because they're taking... And I don't know why the United States government does not want to make nuclear, like, friendly. It's not bad. I remember a trade that I had on, and I was short. Uh, Western Hub is the is the hub you trade in PJM that pretty much engulfs all of PJM. It's probably of the East Power, 80% of the entire liquidity. And so I had that, and I had sold it, being an eternal bear and pessimist. I had sold it, and an earthquake hit. And there's a really big nuke called North Anna in Virginia. And the earthquake hit, nothing happened to it. It didn't go down, it didn't anything. And so I was like, the trade's gonna be fine. Sold more. And then they took it down for precautionary reasons and I got smoked on the trade. And so because we, you lost like whatever it was, like gig and a half of baseload nuclear in Virginia, which is like right in the hot spot of like that mid-Atlantic where everyone lives. So, I mean, nuclear is very safe. Japan just went all in on nuclear. If Japan's yeah. good with nuclear, I think we can all be okay with nuclear. Because that was a terrible, like, incident that they had, but it was because of water getting the reactors. It sounds like modular is coming. It sounds like it's kind of a 2030 instance. But again, I mean, this is just, it's there. It's baseload. It's, it's less reliant on, like, natural resources, whereas, like, batteries, that's obviously the issue the cost of these batteries going up and looking at mining in countries that have like kind of, I mean, instability and things of that nature. So I mean, like I'm all for batteries. There's some awesome companies out there doing kind of like mid range, the, the, like I met someone the other had was very fortunate to have like dinner with someone the other day. And he's like, yeah, we're doing four to 12 hour batteries. I'm like, Whoa, this is awesome. That's huge. It's huge. And then talked about batteries yesterday. And then we signed a battery client this week. Uh, and so, I mean, batteries are here and they're real, but it's just, it's a lot from the resources standpoint. Now, why would a battery client want to be part of Amperon? They want to know what the grid's doing. Um, okay. and so we, we issue four CP alerts. Uh, we, we issue all capacity alerts. So okay. in PJM, it's called PLC and NSPL, uh, in ERCOT, it's four CP. The, the ERCOT industry or the energy industry, especially electricity, 
likes to, based on region, have the exact same thing, have a completely different acronym. And so it's really annoying. And, uh, but that's what we do. We offer all these capacity alerts. And so they want to know what hour we think is going to be the highest and people are going to back download. They also want to know that if ERCOT says it's going to be 81 gigs of load and we say it's going to be 78, probably going to be less sensitive than usual. If ERCOT says it's going to be 74 and we say it's going to be 77, watch out because we are more accurate by about like 20 or so percent than ERCOT uh, historically. So that's what they want to use it for is just to understand kind of what that's doing. And if they have a PPA or a load pocket, then we'll do a forecast for that particular load pocket. So if they're working with like a Muni co-op, which is becoming really popular up in the Northeast, uh, especially in New England, then they'll go in and we'll say, great, we'll give you a, we'll give you a hourly forecast. Some are asking for like a 15 minute forecast, which I, I think is probably going to be on our near term roadmap. Uh, and for said, municipality or cooperative so this little town bought a five megawatt battery because it's big for the town and and they want to know how to optimize it so yeah i think i think that that's kind of where where things are headed on the battery front but i'm super bullish on nuclear super bullish on batteries um i've gone down a little bit of a rabbit hole one of my vcs or or very early stage or our first investor actually uh, sent me a deck about geothermal and I was like this is interesting so I wound up going down kind of that rabbit hole uh, and the geothermal I think is very interesting because obviously people are like oil and gas is losing jobs partially because of like government regulation and partially because of efficiency right uh, a 10 person crew can now be a two person crew right. and so either way they're losing jobs I'm pro people having jobs. Hard people, hardworking people should have a place to go. Absolutely. Geothermal is a place for these talented oil and gas drillers uh, to go because it's drilling. They're yeah. like I looked at the business plan of this and was like amazed. Instantly called one of my buddies from college who's like really really talented uh, on the engineering side. Works for an ENP company uh, up in Dallas. It's called him. It's like Chase need help. Like, what about this, 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 and this? Jumped on with one of his engineers. I was like, this could actually work. The Earth's core. I feel like it's going to be there for a while. Like, we should probably tap that and use some of the heat off of it and produce electricity. Also on board with that. So uh, I'll say the thing I'm probably least on board with, like especially in Texas, stop building wind. We don't need any more wind. We need to take any subsidies wind have, and I'm all for subsidies, move it to batteries move it to geothermal, move it to electric vehicles, on to the next one. Wind is good. I, I scheduled wind in 2005. There's 2,800 megawatts in ERCOT. There's 34,000 now. Yeah. We should be done. And so that's kind of where I believe solar is up, like off to the races. And then we're going to get to a point we should kind of calm it down on solar, uh, except for like residential rooftop solar. So those are kind of like help the person who needs it, not the person who's already cornered the market. Because uh, you can only you can only print so much money, I think. Walk me through kind of that process, and, and you, I know you touched on it a little bit when what Abe said, "Look, if you if you can sell it, I'll build it." But what was that process like? Because again, there's a whole different side of thinking you can do it. And yeah. again, you were I mean, and again, you'd been what trading for ten plus years at that point, so you had a pretty good thing going, and you were pretty well versed in what you were already doing yeah. in the market. It's a pretty big leap. In 2017, because yes, we were moving towards technology, but this isn't like it was in 2021, 2022, where everybody's into technology. Yeah. What was that process like? And what, you know, tell me who the folks that were saying, you know what, Sean, do it versus the sides that were saying, you know what, you got a pretty good thing going. Why mess that up? It was a pretty good leap and it was a pretty good pay cut. Yeah, I think just to want to build something and do that, you kind of got to have a couple screws loose. And I just, I just saw a hole and I saw that these big companies were buying companies that I kind of thought weren't great ideas and for like 10, 20 million bucks. And so I was joking with my, I guess, girlfriend at the time, now wife. And it was like, I can come up with a better idea than this 10 or $20 million idea. Like this should be fun. But just, I'm the biggest Houston person you'll meet. Like it was fortunate to grow up with Hakeem winning and the Rockets will get there again someday. Like, love my Aggies, love my Astros. 
like all the things I grew up with, like I'm the most pro Houston person, do a ton of work with like the Greater Houston Partnership. And so like, love the city. This city is energy. And so with that, I also kind of felt a little bit of a, a duty to come in and be like, I'm in New York. I've been fortunate enough to have the opportunity to live in Chicago, to live in New York, and it, it changes your thinking. And you understand that some things you can never replace, like fajitas, and then some things like technology you should be replacing yeah. your thoughts on. And so just kind of all that coming together, Abe is an extremely talented engineer. There are no Abes in Houston, unfortunately. We've we've looked, and I think there's more. I just be, became one of the co-chairs of Aggies in Tech, so we're trying to get... I mean, AM's 90 miles down the road, has a great campus out at City Center, trying to get more Aggies into the tech space. And so some really smart people who have been, and a couple of big names like Bob Harvey, who runs Greater Houston Partnership, have all come in pushing in that. So I really, really want to get more tech to Houston. Yeah. Um, and so that's what I'm trying to do. You feel that's happening, though, in, in, in some ways? Because I know you and I both know Jane Stricker, obviously, and that's one of the things that as Houston becomes a more – as you're, you put it, energy city, right? As, yeah. as it veers away from, I mean, look, oil and gas, we get it. It's going to be that, and, and it's hard. You know, it's going to take some time to shake that ideology. But, I mean, let's call it what it is. To your point, renewable energy continues to roll in. Energy continues to roll in as a whole. It's in the run for being a hydrogen hub, which yeah. would be silly if it wasn't. I don't know I don't know how you could I don't know how honestly you say you can't else. make yeah. that, right? I would think, though, that, 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 that because of all the things that are happening in Houston as an energy center, yeah. That tech is going to start it's coming. flowing one it's, way or the it's other. It's for sure coming. It's for sure like it is here in route. And so, but now you have this distributed world, right? And so we had a huge advantage hiring against these big tech companies because we were like, do you want to work remote? And people were like, huh, what is this remote you speak of? And then when COVID hit, all our com- one of our biggest competitors just hired 80 people headcount to come in the Houston office every day. That didn't work out. They just built some big, massive office space. We're sitting in my office. This portion is brand new. I had that, the one that's like 600 square feet right there. That's what we had, and I wisely signed it in February of 2020. But I think because you have a distributed, you don't have to move all the tech talent to Houston anymore. I would like to see it here. I think you have to look at the other things, the cost to live. Um, We do need a more stable grid, get a lot of knocks on that. if it can tone it down a little bit for June and July next year, it would be much appreciated. So, I mean, I think it's it's definitely coming here, but it, it's going to come for other reasons because you can hire wherever. And so that's the problem that we're having now hiring is because I made an offer to a guy from Apple, and he goes, I'm moving from Cupertino to Maine, and Apple says I can't work remotely. Well, halfway through the process, Apple goes, hey, your team for special purposes can work remotely. I can't go head-to-head against Apple. They have a little bit more money than we do. A little bit. So, it's like a small market versus a big market. Yeah. They like had bad earnings and only made like $48 trillion or whatever, I think. No. That's something you can't go against. So I don't think the tech necessarily is going to move to Houston. Houston has to make itself a more attractive city overall, which I think it's doing a good job of. What are some of the knocks when you try to hire folks? against Houston? Man, that's a great question. We're going to see how many people I ostracize here. Obviously, the heat is something, but I'm like, you ever walk through 40 inches of snow? I'm just saying. (laughs) Uh, And so uh, I think the heat's definitely one thing. People don't understand. When I left here in 2013, it wasn't that cool in my opinion, and now you're sitting here all these hot restaurants are Fitty coming Cent in. just moved to Houston for crying out loud. If Fitty moves here, I, I saw he was sitting at courtside of the Rockets game and clutched the bear, got upside down and started doing started doing sit-ups, and I just lost it. Well, they asked him yesterday. He was actually on an uh, interview with 97.9 The Box, and they asked him, what made you move to Houston? And he more or less said, and I'm paraphrasing here, Houston is more friendly to business versus, and you know, when the pandemic obviously started, everybody yeah. was hamstrung. But he said, you know, Texas opened up, whereas New York, where he lived previously, was still, as he put it, jammed up. And you know, let's call it what it yeah. is. A lot of folks, and we continue to see, you know, more and more companies move here from a you know headquarters standpoint. And so you got that going. But to your point, the heat obviously is a huge thing. But I, I got to believe, and you know, I mean, hell, Slim Thug said this years ago when they were courting Dwight Howard. No state taxes. I got to imagine that that still continues to play a, a huge factor. Excuse me, no state income tax. Yeah. I got to believe that still plays a major part. Right? Yeah. In, in oh, hundred percent. That it, it absolutely does. I mean, the eleven percent raise I got when I moved from New York was beautiful. 
And, and I remember my first Chicago paycheck, and I was like, where's the other half? No, I absolutely think that that is something that's a huge advantage. Uh, I mean, it's a great sports town. It's a great food town. Um, I do wish, and they're trying to to do a better job of this in terms of, like, walkability, public transportation, yeah. things like that. The seven years of not owning a car was phenomenal. You want to talk about how to clean up the environment, stick everybody on a train, and then you know when you're going to get there, right, in, in Houston traffic. Eh. Like how hard is it though? And and somebody who's lived in two major cities, well, you know, lived in four: uh, Houston, Dallas, Chicago, New York. Okay, so you've so got I've a covered, you've I've got a it. tremendous exam. I mean, outside of L.A. and Miami, you've pretty much you you've been there, done that. How de- and when I try to explain to people, like, well, I was at an event the other day, and and uh, these these folks from Africa were talking about Houston. I said, look, without a car, you're in a I mean, you're in a bad way. Yes, you can. They said, what about the bus? I said, yeah, you can take the bus. <sighs> We're, we're a one-car family. We we only have one car. I've got wife and a one-year-old, so, like, I Uber to work. 12 bucks to get here, and so we do that. So, I mean, I, I look at that from a public transportation. I live in the Heights. Everyone bikes everywhere. Everyone walks everywhere. We, we walk to dinner all the time. There's nothing better than having, like, a big meal and then walking a half a mile home just to stretch it out a little. And so, like, we have that opportunity in the Heights. How much does that change? How much have you noticed, again, being a, a born and raised Houston boy, how much have you noticed in that has started to change and evolve here in Houston from now yeah. versus when you moved, to, you know, when you lived here 10, 15, 20 years ago? It's changed a ton. I mean, you look at, they're putting parks out. They're putting bike lanes out. I mean, they cleaned up downtown a good bit. Still a work in progress, but so is everything. I feel like the Heights is the most walkable place ever. Go walk to coffee shops. Yeah. Just had a, a bar open up like a baseball throw from my house, which is great. Uh, and so I'm like, okay, fine. If you want to have a meeting, grab a beer. We're going here. Like, okay, perfect. So, I mean, it's gotten a lot more walkable. And, and the Heights especially, if you have that little community, people complain about how much it costs to live here, like how much the housing has gone up. My mortgage for my mortgage is less than my 700 square foot one bedroom apartment in Manhattan was. And my house is more than 700 square feet in the Heights. And so, and so you can get four times that and own it for the same thing as like your, your apartment was in Manhattan. That's another change too. And plus like, and then you have your state income taxes you're making. It's a great place to be. I'm, I'm very, very happy to be back. So how do you feel then with what we've kind of just you know, touched on as far as, you know, Houston continues to evolve, it's becoming more user-friendly, what have you. Are you starting to win more of those battles? Again, there's certain salary things that you just can't, you know, like you said, if Apple's offering a yeah, gigaton ton of money, ain't not, uh, you can live in, you know, Abu Dhabi, it ain't going to matter. Yeah, there's yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of soft benefits. Uh, I mean, like, Elliot came, worked for me three years ago, and he's like, I'm not moving down there. And he was in Boston. I was like, okay. Great. And he's, I mean, happy as can be. Uh, some of the other benefits that you have is you sit next to like the executive team. Like we're all right here. Every deal we celebrate, there's complete transparency, uh, I think is the biggest thing. You have no idea if you work at some massive company, like what your earnings are. Whereas every single deal, if it's a $20,000 deal, if it's a $200,000 deal, we celebrate it on our Slack. We, we put, uh, put up gong memes. And so basically be like okay this new client came in it's like and so led by our data scientist you have that opportunity you just you get to be a part of something we offer equity to our to the team that's great if we have an exit one day like they share in that everybody's getting paid so i mean we really do this it's very very close-knit we had everyone come in here from all over the world 21 people at the time and then we'll be 30 by next month and so everyone came here and you just have that that close-knit everyone talks about each other's families because you know everyone yeah and so there's people i talk to much less because they're on the engineering side and they're they're not direct reports to me but like we still talk all the time having lunch with an engineer on tuesday when i go up to new york and so i mean it just it's that small knit type thing and the other thing too is we move fast and so if you're in big corporate i mean for better or for worse, you have a meeting about the meeting to talk about the meeting to plan for the next meeting. And so here we sit there and we're like, okay, do this. And you're like, but wait. And you're like, just make the decision. And so I think that's one of the things too is just having that super like just prompt to the point everything. And so like Abe had, Abe's like only been in startup world. And so he was 
very good about having like that startup culture yeah. uh, and going in and being like, this is what we're doing. Like we do standups. We get on the phone on Monday. We have data call. We have commercial call. We have engineering call. We set everything for the week. On Thursday, we all get together and I kind of give an overview and then like then so, some of the other execs give an overview and then we open it up. So anyone from the intern to Abe and I all ask questions, comments, throw things in there, whoever can answer it. And so just kind of having that open forum, uh, it's just awesome. Uh, and just getting to see something that you built and watching us like we doubled revenue this year. And it's from, from what we had done the four years prior is double. That's kind of cool. Yeah. And so everyone's like, wow, this is like, we're off. Like, okay, perfect. So, I mean, that you just, you're a part of something. Everyone wants to be a part of something. Large corporations, you don't always feel a part of something. In all the conversations I've had with founders, with owners, with CEOs, folks like yourself who have been doing this, you know, 10, 15, you know, less years, whatever it is, you guys are in year five of this. I would say maybe half, give or take, pivoted maybe early on, somewhere yeah. along, you know, they had this great idea, maybe they had to add a major tweak to it, maybe they curtailed it, whatever, but something along the way is the same fundamental process and or mentality or not necessarily mentality but is the same fundamental process and business model that you guys had when you started in 2017 the same one today or has there been tweaks and you know different same things exact, along the way? okay same exact thing and and the reason why is we were thoughtful at the beginning okay and so we went out and this is one of the things before we started recording you and i were talking about was uh the fact that there's a lot of new entrance to energy right yeah. i love it i love there's new money coming in which is much appreciated and it's money that doesn't even know what exactly it's doing, but it's coming, which is awesome. The government's putting money into it. Like energy is the hot sector right now, right? Everyone wants to come here. Everyone says, I don't want to sell ads anymore. I want to come like work on making the grid more reliable. Uh, I want to tell these companies like what their renewable energy credits are that they need to be buying in each state. I want to be playing with batteries because I know that they need to function properly to not have us black out next winter. You have all of those things that are kind of coming along, but at the end of the day, some people are doing this wrong. And so they're coming in and saying, I'm really smart. This is what you need. It's the wrong answer. The correct answer is you go to the people and back to what I said at the beginning, if you ask for advice, and so we, I wore out my network. Everyone I had ever met who I thought was semi-important to important, I said, how can I help you? And if you come out hat in hand, and I'm like, what should I build for you? What What's the worst part of your day that you wish you could fix? And they're like, man, I wish I knew what my like what my position was going forward. I, I wish you could predict the future. I wish I could predict the future too. It's a $1.1 billion lottery number. I totally wish the data scientists could pull that off. Predicting the future is hard, but that's what we do. We predict the future. And so because we had energy expertise at the beginning, me and now a whole slew of us, we know what to build so we go out and ask people too many people are saying this is a pretty archaic industry which it is we're just going to go in there and this is what you need to do do this do that do this and then a lot of people also get real buzzword heavy and so they don't really have something but they know that not all the money's fully informed on this and like i told you i was i knew almost nothing about geothermal except for i know the word geo means i know the word thermal means and i thought i had a drill involved but I went down that rabbit hole and learned and became very intrigued by it. And so you have people that know less. And so if you just throw around AI and machine learning and like ARIMA and like all these, like all these programming words that I kind of know what means still, uh, but like people say that and people throw money at you. And so that's the thing I think that's the, uh, that's the like, that's what makes bubbles, right? That's what made the dot-com bubble. That's what made the climate bubble, the first one. So when you have that, that's what made the real estate bubble. All bubbles is when ill-informed people get involved and don't talk to the informed people. Uh, and so I think that's really what the difference with us not pivoting is we went to all the informed people and said, what do you need? And now we've got 50 clients and our average client size, I mean, is, I mean, close to six figures. So, I mean, that's, that's what our software looks like. Who's an Amperon client? Uh, let's see. The Australian Energy Market Operator can say um, we're about to do, in our press release, I had some really nice quotes uh, from Ohm Connect and Orsted. 
Um, we've done, there's some really good, we're starting to do now, um, we're starting to basically, a bunch of the people that you can look out the window and see are Amperon clients okay. <laughs> for where we sit in Midtown. But what we're doing now is, I mean, obviously a little self-serving, but also just to kind of get the story out there. The company I mentioned earlier that we're doing, that we did the residential solar project on, because they have about 20% of the grid. I was on the phone with them yesterday. We're doing cross-marketing because they want everybody to know that they're really good at rooftop solar because they're really the ones because they have us. And so we want all the ones doing rooftop solar, uh, having that in their portfolio to know that Ampron's the one to come to. And they said that we went against one of our, or I guess our biggest competitor and they ran both of us internally and they made a substantial amount of money in July by using us versus them. That's great to hear. So let me, okay. So, so we're the, gonna start doing a lot of cross marketing. So you're gonna start seeing all the brands that Ampron works with in very short order. So when you say that the resident, okay, so when a, a residential solar company comes to Ampron and like I said, you said they got 20% of the grid. Explain, kind of walk us through just in a, just in a bare bones example of how that relationship works and what they're doing for you and what you're doing for them as so, much as you can. Yeah. So they have a big book. They have tens of thousands of clients. Some of them have rooftop solar. Those are really hard to predict. You can't do this in Excel anymore. You've got to understand when the sun is shining and what that, that house, did, did you leave and go on vacation? Did you leave for work during the day or did your house dip because you had too much? So their, their book almost goes negative at times in terms of the consumption because there's so much generation. So they need to know what that is so then they can hedge accordingly. But that's what we're doing for them. We don't deal with the residential solar gotcha. at all. Like like John Burgers everywhere here. I was fortunate enough to like have a like co-host a dinner that he was that he and Jigger Shaw did an interview during. Awesome company, been like fully rooting for them. There's ways we can work together, but right now that's not our real focus. Where does a company like Amperon, or what can a company like Amperon do when it comes to helping with modernization of the grid and or helping with transmission or is that something that you know you guys can you know look from afar or is that something you want to get involved with or you can consult on how can Amperon play a role in transmission and grid modernization and or enhancement yeah great question one thing is like we fully stay away from all consulting everything that we build is fully software and it has to be a reputable business so if it's not something that we can sell to 10 20 50 100 people then we don't do it even from a like little if you come to me and say, I've got an idea, I want this, and you can tell me why other people should have this, we're down. But everything for us, it's all about scale and repeatable process. So transmission side or like in, in nerddom TDSP, that's something we're not really looking at. Or actually, it's not we're not looking at it all, but there is a way that we affect it. And so we're not looking at it all because that's a lot of like power flow models. There's a few softwares that do that. And do that pretty well it's normally from a long-term planning one of the things I, I feel people really need to pay attention to is where they put these renewable assets so like if you build a big like if you build a big solar farm and it's in a spot that has negative congestion and so the price always becomes negative that's an issue and same with wind if it's a place that always gets shut down you're never going to recoup the money from your wind project you're not going to have money to go build more wind projects so that's something that i think is very important we're not touching that the way we would help that is we would help battery operators be more efficient because they would know what the grid's doing and because of that that relieves strain on the grid we would help people again understand how to deal with the rooftop solar how to deal with their electric vehicles everything on the demand side it's going to ease the strain on the grid so that's ultimately what we're doing is it's from a kind of a short term and long short term and medium term they call like one to five years kind of medium term and then long term is like 30 year like what are we going to do for big infrastructure so from a from a small and short and medium term that's where we really come in and focus like how do you run the grid we have i mean approaching two million meters in ERCOT a lot of sinking meters and so we are putting out our forecast and if those meters are bidding into the day ahead in real time the correct amount for them and having very low error then ERCOT now has much less error because they say hey two million people are acting appropriately and we just got to deal with the other like whatever eight or nine million and yeah not bad 
Like that's a lot easier if that many people know what they need. If you tell me what you need tomorrow, it's a whole lot easier for me to buy it and deliver it for you tomorrow. If you have no idea what you need tomorrow, I'm just gonna have to guess and hope that I pulled it off. So that's kind of the, the big difference and that's how we help relieve. But the other thing too is uh, had a very, very early, and I've said this other times before, is had a very early VC pitch. And we walked in there and we said, grid screwed. Okay, cool. It's like beginning of 2018 said, so we're going to go on there and we're going to build a demand forecast. Okay, cool. Everyone's priced wrong. If you have solar, you have an electric vehicle, and you have a battery at your house, none of you look like, and should all have different prices. So we're going to tell them how to price it. And then we're going to tell the customer, and we're going to tell you, 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 exactly what should be going on. I said, great. VC looks at me, probably both like mid-30s, and he goes, how many businesses do you have? I was like, zero. And he goes, how much are you raising? $500,000. He goes, so you're going to build three companies with $500,000. And I was like, it's the dumbest thing I've ever asked anybody. And so because of that, we've been on the straight and narrow. So I think one of the things, my advice to anyone who's an early stage startup listening, pick one thing and become the master of it. I can say with full confidence, in terms of load forecasting, we're the best in the world. And I just went to London and Paris and said that a couple of weeks ago. And they all know that because they're working with us in the States or have heard of us from someone who's working with us in the States. And so it's not, it's not a, it's a statement that has very, very factual evidence to back it up. I cannot tell you that I'm good at 18 different things. And so you see companies come in, especially companies selling to utilities. They come in and they say, hey, we want to do this for you. And they're like, great, you're going to be my data janitor. And you're going to go clean up all this and do all this and do all this. And that's something that you see. You see those companies crumble because you can't run that many things. The big whales can. Schneider Electric can, yeah. right? They're billions of dollars of company. And they can go in and be like, all right, we got everything. And if not, we'll just go acquire another company for a billion dollars that does. Okay, great. But I can't do that as a startup that today has now raised 10 million. For the first four years, we raised 2.8. So how the heck am I gonna go fix all of your problems, center point, for like 2.8 million? Not possible. So I think that's my biggest piece of advice is find something you're good at and stay laser focused. So at Ampron, I always say we're everyone's plus one. Do you need to know what demand is? You absolutely need to know what demand is. We can help you with that. All the rest of the stuff, we have people we work with. I have a lot of friends in the industry, companies that we're friendly with. We, I refer companies all the time and say, hey, I'm good at this, but have you met my friend? And then introduce them to them and give them a company that I've I vetted. You talked about in those first four years, you raised 2.8 million. So how do, you, how do you juggle running the business, getting business, and trying to raise money all at the same time and run a lean operation to show those folks, you know, it's a chicken or the egg argument, let them know you're really good at what you do so that you can go get more business and more customers and raise more dollars. That's easy, espresso. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you just, you get really good at managing your time. Is that uh, what it is? It's managing your time and then getting good people in place. And so I have people at this company that I just say, you deal with that and it's great because I fire it and I don't ever even think about it. And so if you trust other people and you hire people that you trust and you hire that caliber of people, which is hard, it's very hard. I'm a huge advocate of hiring from my network. I love my network, it's what's gotten us here and I've hired a ton of people who I had pre-existing relationships because they also had to quit really nice jobs to come work at this crazy startup. And so, that's the biggest thing is if you can delegate. And so I step back and say like, okay, go do this. And I trust it's going to be done. I don't sit there and like look over their shoulder and like, okay, is it done? Is it done? Is it done right? Is it done right? Is it done? No, you just let them go. Um, so if you can do that, and th the thing is, is unfortunately, and this may, this may not come out exactly right, but like if you're going to be the CEO of a company, it's not about doing, it's about leading. And so I don't, I do a lot less than I did four years ago. This is fun. This is a blast. Yeah. And getting in to tell my story, all of that, everyone is out there scheduling right now for me. Catherine takes care of scheduling, and I never hear anything, which is what you want to hear from your scheduler because it means it just works. You've got people back there, like the data science team. You've got the operations team. Ampron is running completely fine, and I'm here with you. 
And so that's the biggest key, I think, is just understanding how to delegate and having that trust in people. Because if you delegate and then you micromanage, you're done. So that's really the biggest thing, I think, that I would say of doing all of these. And I have a very, very set schedule. Like I said, I've got a one and change year old. And so like I wake up with him and we we party from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. And then I go hard from like eight to five. And then I hang out with him and my wife from five to eight. And then I work eight to 12. And then I sleep and rinse, repeat, stop working out, stop, stop hanging out with my friends. But like, yeah, it's fun though. And so you have that very like set schedule um, that you just like, just know to like go hard because you've got something to look forward to. I get to go see Alex at 5 p.m. and go hang out with him for three hours. So that's kind of the, the other thing too. Is so you can delegate trust and then schedule. Then it's it's really the time efficiency thing is, is what makes you be able to run around like a crazy person. Get you out of here with this two-part question. One, is the grid ready for EVs and the load and demand that that's going to bring? Because we know that's obviously not going going anywhere. Now, we do know that with the new bill, uh, you know, we still I'm sure there's going to be some new iterations on it as it goes through the House and Senate. But at the very least, I think we all feel pretty confident that it will get passed in some form or fashion. Uh, so are EVs, you know, what kind of demand, what kind of struggle are they going to put on the grid? And then two, what's next? What's kind of on the horizon for the rest of 2020? to and maybe the immediate future for Sean Kelly and Amperon. Wow. So yeah, EVs, I am ecstatic about the bill that just came out. The price of EVs has skyrocketed um, and I'm I'm considering getting one. They're honestly like out of my price range right now because I need an SUV having all of the fun stuff that comes with a child. And so I love what they've done is putting in, it's I think it's $7,500 for a new vehicle. But the thing that I like though is that they capped it. Uh, based on income so it's still very relative of like if you're single it's 150 if it's a family it's 300 that's not at all like excluding the average price of an ev is fifty four thousand dollars that's a freaking expensive car that's probably how much all the cars my parents had growing up could cumulatively cost and so those 86 camrys are expensive though uh and so you uh great on gas um but so that's a big number so i'm all for that the infrastructure piece uh, and I know there's pieces of the bill for that. That's the part that's concerning. Um, a lot of it's going to be at the home, but like if you live, half my street is is little, like little bungalows, and then half my street is brand new builds. And I had them put a big massive outlet in my garage because I want to sell a house with a gas station in the future. Seems like a good idea. Don't have an EV today. Have it right there next to the heavy bag and the speed bag. And so you have that. But if my whole street decides to come home and plug in at the same time. We're in a lot of trouble. And so that's the thing that I am concerned about. The EV penetration, it's getting there. It's still going to take a minute. But when if it's fully over, I think it's going to add 60% demand to the grid. So we're at 80 gigs right now in Texas. So we're talking like, what's that, another 50 basically? Holy crap. That's a lot of, that's a lot of gigs. So that's going to take a minute. So they really, really need to spend more on the infrastructure. And because of that, you need more flexible generation. You can't build power lines that fast. You can't build power lines that cost effectively. You need people to start being able to flex. And whether it's flex their home, whether it's flex their commercial site, whatever it is. And so that's the big thing I think um, that's coming on the EV side. But I'm super bullish EV, test driven a couple Teslas. Rivian is actually the one I think I've kind of got my eye on uh, the SUV they have. Um, but again, just the price point is up because everything is up and inflation and uh, and natural resources and things like that. For Amperon, I mean, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. We're going to go out there. We had a just massive flow. We had this these big audations for how we we're going to hit our number by the end of the year. And everyone came flooding in, like from a client standpoint, all at once in kind of May. Great job by the operations team. I was like, I feel like we're driving down the road in a car. Everybody's holding onto a door to make sure it doesn't fall off. And we got a lot of duct tape around. But we did a great job of just like having all of these customers come on board. We won the initiate pitch at Distributech. And, and someone goes, best thing that happened to Amperon was $8 gas. And I was like, thanks, man. So volatility, people are paying attention to it. It's free marketing for us. ERCOT's done a great job holding it together. There have been some price spikes. Everyone's scared as heck because... I had a six-month pregnant wife during the freeze, which was a lot of fun with no power for two days. So, I mean, this stuff is happening. So volatility is great for our market. 
And the more the grid gets complex, the more valuable Amperon is. So we're gonna keep doing what we're doing. Um, we're also looking to expand to Europe. A megawatt's a megawatt, electricity is electricity, and they are having a crisis that makes what we think is going on in ERCOT pale in comparison. So they've got countries that were fully reliant on Russian gas. Uh, they've got wind hit record lows. They're having nuke outages, LNG supply chain issues. I mean, the list goes on and on. When we left London, the week after they had a strike because it was 104 degrees in the Heathrow airport, yeah. you look at that. We stayed in some like decent Airbnbs, none had air conditioning. They just don't have air conditioning there. And that's why the issue in Portland is such an issue. There's Most of Portland doesn't have AC. There's, it's 104 degrees in Portland last week. And so the more craziness that happens, the better it is for business. And so we're here to do what we can to help everyone. That's how we that's how we kind of blew up is we sat down with a bunch of publicly traded companies right after Yuri came and hit Houston and Texas and we said like here let us help you. We know the data better than anyone. And we sat down with a lot of publicly traded companies and said this is what needs to be done. So we're there to help um and so when the next event happens, we've got record floods in St. Louis and Detroit right now, Portland, the hottest June and July on record. Hunt, I just named off a whole bunch of 100-year events, and there's nothing happening in the tropics, which is also weird. And so uh, it's just everything is going. The climate climate change is nuts. Everything is different than it was, whatever, 18 years I've been watching weather. So, yeah, that's what we're going to do. We're going to sit down here, do what we do, build software that lets you know exactly uh, how to manage your risk uh, and just continue to expand that. We're in the entire United States, the whole East Coast, California, Alberta, um, the whole West. Um, all we're missing is Southwest Power Pool, which will be done later this year. So just keep doing what we're doing and just hire a ton. So especially if you're a data engineer or data scientist, hit me up. Okay. <laughs> we're looking we're looking for people to come join the team. I've got about 10 to 12 more openings uh, that I need to fill by the end of the year. We've underspent on hiring and over-delivered on uh, sales metrics. So <laughs> we're ready to go. Yeah. So especially if you're in Houston, it'd be great to have more and more of that talent here. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Sean Kelly. You can catch all of the Power Connect episodes over at Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Play, and of course the website, thepowerconnect.net. We've got some great episodes coming up next week. We're going to be talking to the folks from M4, Mr. David Horish, and Miss Catherine McLean from the Dylan Green Recruiting Agency. She helps focus on all things recruiting in the clean energy and green space. So obviously that's popping off right now. So we're going to get with Catherine on kind of what are some of the things that she's seeing and how are companies adapting, especially with a looming recession? Are they still hiring? Stick around. We'll find out about that next week. As always, news you can use. Don't miss it. Every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, if you want to have your business and or news featured, press releases, whatever you're looking to get out there to the energy world, give us a holler. Give us a ring. Fred at thepowerconnect.net. Follow us. Connect with us on LinkedIn. Fred Davis and the Power Connect. You will be glad that you did. Shout out, as always, to all the entire guests, audience, listeners, for everybody making the show possible. Thank you so much, as always. This has been the Power Connect Podcast, connecting the energy transition one conversation at a time. Wake up, all the builders. Time to build a new land.